In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. I'm going to try something a little new this morning, so I hope you'll bear with me. It, it may take me a little while to figure out the rhythm and the pattern here, but I had a conversation this week with our new digital greeter, Kate Jarvis, who's greeting on Facebook this morning, and is going to be part of our conversation going forward about how we create radical welcoming spaces online for the folks who join us online as well. Of course, we want to do that. We do that here in person, right? Our welcome is very important to us here. And so we want our welcome online to be the same. And this week when I was talking to Kate, she mentioned to me that it was a little easier to see me. Actually, she said at the lectern, but I can't bring myself to do that. Um, so what I'm going to try and do is have a little bit more of a home base here. And I'll probably still wander a little bit because I like to see all your faces in person too. So we'll see how the hybrid works. You can tell me what you think later. So first, as we start this morning, I want to know, did everyone have a good Valentine's Day? Not what you thought I was going to ask, right? Not how I usually start. And I know it's not everyone's favorite day, but the truth is there are plenty of different kinds of love that we can remember and give thanks for. Right? And so, even though the Hallmark holiday has sort of reduced it to sort of squishy, saccharine, romantic love, there's plenty of other love, right? We talk about love in this space all the time. We talk about God's overwhelming love. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we heard from the Apostle Paul, his sort of beautiful epistle about love, love that hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. And then we talk about love of neighbor here in this place all the time, too, right? So there's plenty of other ways to imagine love than just the sort of saccharine thing we hear about on Valentine's Day. But I wonder, what do you know about St. Valentine? Anything? No? Good. Some heads shaking. That's good. Because I want to tell you that one of the things we know about him, like most of the saints and martyrs, is actually the way that he died. And I see at least one person nodding. So here's the way that he died. Valentine is Valentine because of what he did with his life. He defied the Roman leadership who said that Christians could not get married. And he secretly married couples, even though the occupation and the oppression said no. And the reward that he got for that is that he was beheaded around the year 270. That's what we know about Valentine. Now, the holiday that's come to be named for him is a little bit different, right? But I think we can draw some conclusions about the love that he was invested in. He didn't think it was fair that people who loved each other couldn't be married and couldn't be married in the church. And so he did what so many of the saints and martyrs do. He broke the rules. He broke the unjust, unfair rules, risking his life, risking himself, for the sake of love, for the sake of what he believed was right. Makes for kind of a cool legacy in the end. I'm not sure how he would feel about how the holiday has sort of become something else. I feel, I feel like for him there's a little bit of a lack of dignity there. But I do think that he would dig the idea that love conquers all. And that love should be our choice, even at a high cost. And I think it's fair to say it had a fairly high cost for him. 
And the love that he was interested in is a lot like the love that we hear about in all of our texts this morning. There's several different kinds of love in these texts today, but all of them have a little bit of an edge to them. An edge sort of that I think Valentine would have approved of, an edge that is a little bit different than just that sort of squishy, soft love we think about sometimes. I think we oversimplify love, and we forget that there's many different kinds, and that the love that Jesus calls us to is radical and edgy, sort of like Valentine. Now, if we look at at Joseph in the Hebrew scriptures, if you don't remember that story, I'm going to do a super oversimplified version of it right now in about 30 seconds. You might remember Joseph in his famous coat. His brothers got very mad that he was the favorite son, and in particular that he was given this fantastic coat of Broadway fame, right? Technicolor dream coat. And so they sell him to a passing troop of foreigners. They dip his coat in goat blood, take it home to his father and say, sorry, your son is dead. And he gets carried off to a foreign place. And his life is fairly difficult. It ends well, but it's fairly difficult to get there. There's loneliness and sadness. There's jail time. There's danger. There's accusations. It's it's not an easy road for Joseph. And it's important to notice that when he sees his brothers in the text today, he shows them kindness. So I want to ask you if you can imagine forgiving someone for something like that. It's a big ask. Think about the things that you've forgiven people for in your life, big and small. Can you imagine forgiving someone for hurting you so badly that they literally carried your whole life off and forced you to do and to be someone else? It's an awful lot to forgive. And yet Joseph, his love for them is so strong, his willingness to bear goodness within himself and to share it with his brothers changes not just his life, but the life of his brothers. Now that is a fierce kind of love. That is, that is a choice to forgive someone after that kind of pain, to love someone in the middle of that story. That is a strong, unrelenting choice that you're making. He chooses love. And then in the gospel, Jesus has an awful lot to say about love as well. And here again, it's not a soft and squishy kind of love. It's not passive. It doesn't just sort of sit there. It's not just a pretty feeling that we feel. It's unrelenting. It's unyielding. And frankly, it's difficult to capture. I mean, just listen to what he tells us to do. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? So again, I'll ask you, can you think of someone, someone's, the things in your life the places, the moments, the seasons where this text might apply. When have you been called as a Christian to love someone 
who hurt you deeply? When have you been invited to be kind and good and to forgive even though you are still hurting? That's the ask here. That's the ask. Now, we do have to do a, a little bit of a caveat, um, as we always do with texts that have been used wrongly. And this text, in particular, has been used in a very, a very frankly, sinful way to suggest, particularly and most often, though probably not always, to women, that they should stay in marriages where they have been or are being physically abused. And so, as we always do with the text, we have to contend with what it says. There's truth in it for us. It has something to say to us. And we still have to acknowledge the ways that it has been wrongly used. So hear me when I say, it has been wrongly used. God's will for us is never to be unsafe. God's will for us is never to be physically harmed and unfulfilled and, and in danger, ever, not ever. And where this text was used for that, it was a sin. That's not what Jesus is after here. What he's after is more sort of the, the things that we do to each other in the world, the ways that we hurt each other and betray each other and break each other's hearts unfairly, unkindly. And surely you can think of places in your own life where that has been true, where someone you trusted has betrayed you, has turned around and proved themselves to be untrustworthy, where someone you cared for seems to suddenly not care for you. Maybe they've hurt you in a particular way or hurt someone you love. These are two different things. And what Jesus is asking us to do is to love and to forgive the things that are ours to love and to forgive. This kind of love that forgives like that is fierce. In fact, I would call it tough love. Not the tough love maybe that we normally think of where you do the thing that you think is good for someone, but they don't think it's good for them, and you know, you call it tough love, and you're trying to do the right thing for them, but not that. This love actually inherently in itself is tough. It bears all things, like Paul says. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is a resilient, persistent kind of love. It's not at all soft and squishy. I remember when I was younger, maybe some of you have seen things like this before, there were t-shirts that used to say, Jesus is my homeboy. Do you ever remember seeing t-shirts like that? That kind of make Jesus seem like he's really accessible, really approachable, kind of like our buddy, right? Jesus is my buddy. Okay. Well, maybe. I think there are moments, absolutely there are moments, when Jesus is soft and gentle the moment when he brings the children to him, when he's eager to touch them and bless them, I imagine he was very soft and squishy in that moment. The moments when he touches those people who are hurting or sick or lost, the moments when he holds people who are mourning, God knows the moment when he weeps for Lazarus outside his tomb, this is a sensitive, human, loving, squishy Jesus. But the rest of the time, when we make him accessible like that, when we make him approachable, we lose the fact that he is also the king of the universe <laughs> and his love is resilient. 
It is persistent. It is hard to ignore. It is love that is impossible to kill. Love that you can't send away. Love that finds you no matter what. And it's this love that Jesus carries within him. I mean, think about what he does at the end of his life. This persistent, tough love is what allows him to endure the torture before the cross and the cross itself. If he wasn't so strong, if his love wasn't so forceful, there's no way he would have been able to do that. Not just in terms of withstanding it, but think about the power he had within himself. He's the creator of universes. He's the giver of life. All he would have had to do is lift a finger to stop what is happening, let alone a fist or respond in some other physical way. And he doesn't. He bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, believes all things. And ultimately, it's that love that we hear in the epistle. And it's not named as love in the epistle this morning, but that's what it is. It's that love that insists that the bodies that we have that are made of dust will not always be made of dust. That because we bear the image of the man of dust, we might also bear the image of the man of heaven. It's love that transforms us into something and someone else. Love that promises us eternal life. Love that insists we will not die. There is nothing weak or sensitive or squishy about love that death cannot kill. Nothing. So a couple of things to ask you to consider today and this week. God loves you with that unrelenting love. The way that God wants to hold you is just as strong and as fierce as the love that conquers death. What God's asking us to do is a serious, serious ask. It's to learn to love like Jesus does, to learn to love like God does, to learn to forgive the way that God forgives us, to forgive the way that Joseph forgives his brothers, which, by the way, I have to believe that the reason he was able to do that is because he spent those years in between praying for his brothers. There's no way that you can withstand that kind of life change and the torture that he goes through and all of the things that happen to him without coming out on the other side able to love someone because you have prayed for them. Right? And that's what the gospel is about. Praying for the people who hurt us. When in your life, who and what are you being called to forgive, to let go of? Who are the people you should be praying for? Because here's the thing, when we pray for the people who hurt us, and I can tell you, I can think of a couple of people in my life who I trusted, right? Who then I couldn't trust anymore. And the instinct is to sort of ball that up and hold on to it, right? And so the urge of the gospel is to pray for them and let it go. The prayer isn't just for the person who's hurting you. I mean, it is. You're praying for them. You're asking for God to 
bless them and help them. But the prayer ultimately, because God is wonderful, turns out also to be for you. So that you can let go. So that you can be free. So that you can turn the other cheek, which is not easy to do in the world that we live in. Right? The world that we live in tells us it's an eye for an eye. I'm gonna get you. But vengeance and retribution are a good thing. So what hurts, what people, where in your life, what are you still holding on to? What are you being asked to forgive? Who are you being asked to love with this resilient, sticky, strong, fierce love? To learn to open your hands and give even while someone is still not at their best. Where in your life are you called to sow this kind of love? Where in your relationships are you in need of this kind of tough love? Love that can do anything. Love that forgives. Love that conquers. Love that sets us free. If you ask, I believe Jesus will help you with that. So ask this week. Ask for help, to forgive, to let go, and to grow in your own ability to love in this resilient, tough, unrelenting way. Because it's this way that God loves you. Amen.